the day in which he was taken up, after that he from the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he shewed himself alive, after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up unto heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, as you have seen him go unto heaven. Now I read those passages of Scripture to show you the thinking of the human mind. Immediately, after Jesus showed himself alive by many infallible proofs, they disallowed all the teachings of Jesus, simply would not let those things enter into their mind, the uh, fact that he had already told them what he would have to do, and they asked him a question, will thou again at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now they had been fully assured that the kingdom would be restored to Israel, but in the teachings of Jesus, he had made it clear, had they listened, when that kingdom was to be restored. In fact, intermingled in there and in the midst of it, Jesus was trying to make them aware it was going to be a church age. Two thousand years after a church was formed, for humanity to be moved upon by the divine spirit of God and dwelt in humanity. And, of course, his answer to that question in everyday English language was, it is really not any of your business when I restore the kingdom of Israel. All of these I have placed in uh, my own time, and whenever the time rolls around, then I will do it. It's not any of your affair when I will restore the kingdom to Israel, but your affair is this. Go to Jerusalem, and there be endued with power from on high, and make preparation for an awesome task that has faced the church for 2,000 years, beginning that day when the church was born. Now, you can't fight a modern warfare with outdated, antiquated ideas, strategies, and traditions. I feel as certain as I am standing here that this seems to be the mark of the tradition of the church age today. And we want to reach back into the 1900s when the Holy Ghost moved and as it moved and it's just as real as it ever was. And the task is still the same. It's outlined in Mark 16, 15. It's outlined in Matthew 28, 19. That says, go ye unto all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that's still the same. But our environment and our society has changed drastically. And if we could get that in our heart, and realize today that we still have a job, a responsibility of reaching a society, of reaching an environment that has changed. And we cannot reach it with the same weapons, with the same thinking, with the same ideas, with the same traditions, and the same ways of living that they reached humanity 1900 years ago, or I might say uh, 80 years ago when the Holy Ghost was freshly poured out. Mankind, the uh, Seems like that a man could get a guitar with three strings on it and play it out of tune and sing out of tune, and you can feel the altars. That was back then. You don't do that anymore. You dare seem to even do it. The best singers, the best musicians in the world, and it still doesn't do it. 
And what we've got to realize is that the enemy has increased, has launched the last ditch attack, and he has increased, let almost, now there's still some demon forces to be let loose on the world, but those are reserved for the tribulation times, but he's almost unleashed every demonic force that he has against the church and against the outreach that the church seeks to have. And the church today is charged with an awesome responsibility of giving this message into the hearts of this generation. Now, we're not uh, charged with the responsibility of getting this message into the hearts of the generation of the 1800s or back in the 1900s. We're charged with the responsibility of giving this message to this generation. And if you've ever acquainted yourself with our generation today, which would be possibly most of them in the teens or in the mid-twenties. If you ever acquainted yourself with them, and the things that they have faced, and the things that bind them, then certainly you must know that we're in for quite a job. There's quite a chore that faces up, and I'd like to ask us a question as a church, and also as an individual, are we really prepared for the task? Now what's coming up in this revival what God gives us is going to be predetermined upon what our abilities is to cope with what he sends us. And I think perhaps this is a reason that I would like, like to invite you to this challenge. It's because we must be prepared for a task. We dare not fail. It's too late to fail. And better not to have charged, be charged with anything at all than to have it sent in and we're not able to cope with the situations as per se. Rather that we remain as we are, seeking to learn and seeking to be builded up, rather than to have something presented to us that we ourselves are not mature enough, and I'm not calling us babies, but we ourselves are not mature enough to handle. And so the question thrown out to us as a congregation and individuals, are we prepared for the awesome task that would face us? Should the Holy Spirit of God move in such a manner that it could maybe even reach out into the bars and into the highways, into the hedges, and uh, into the houses perhaps of ill fame, and what have you, or into the higher places of society, and sin within our midst individuals that are troubled and plagued with problems. I have to ask us the question as a church, are we prepared for the task that's before us? And then I would like to present tonight some statistics that certainly should present a challenge to us. According to statistics, one half of our population is 25 years of age or less. And less than 12% of these people are church people. 12% of the mainstream of our society has been born, or 12% of the mainstream of our society, which is 25 years of age or less, and was born in the troublesome, rebellious, pop-smoking, drug-oriented time and era of the 1960s, 12% of that population has gone unchurched. It's staggering at the percentage of those that are being ruled and ruined by gold and by alcohol and by other introductions that came in those eras. You knew that the eras of the 60s introduced the Jesus freaks, introduced the flower children, introduced, in a sense, the charismatic, which could have been something excellent for the task, but decided that responsibility was not upon their line of work and refused responsibility in church work or in churches. And therefore, in a sense, disintegrated to something that become just social. And so we're not facing what the apostles faced. We're not facing what my father faced and my grandfather faced. But we're facing something that is awesome. A lot of our families back in the days of my father and the days before that, most families have been introduced at least to God. They had a taste of some type of church or God had present, been presented to them in some fashion. 
But only 12% of this generation and the generation I feel like that is going to end this age and, and deliver Jesus from the womb of the sky is only 12% of them has any knowledge or our idea of who Jesus is, what he came into this world for, what his blood can do, or anything about the power of the Holy Spirit to deliver them from the bondage to Moses. Now that's staggering to me. And when I dwell in my own secret house and, and dwell among me and mine, and uh, get in and around Christian people, which my life consists of, it even becomes more mind-boggling to realize that we're surrounded. Think about your town and uh, half of the society, half of the population, 25 years or younger, and in your town, perhaps 12% of them has ever been presented a gospel in the Protestant sense. I then feel like I know that God has laid upon His church the challenge of some way reaching those individuals with a gospel, with a challenge. It means more than taking your Bible and saying, my Bible says this, because very few of them believe the Bible. Very few of them know very little about the Bible. They discount the Bible because they have been reared and raised in churchless homes and went to godless, atheist-oriented schools and then taught against the way that God brought uh, mankind into existence. Evolution is prevalent everywhere. And any high university almost you go to and is creeping in your grade schools and send your child off to college someplace and the first challenge they face is there is not God. And yet this generation has to believe. Now there's books such as The Future Shock, which is written and is on your shelf by Alvin Toffler. And then uh, Leopold Bellick introduced a book called The Overlord. And in reading this book, it reveals drastic and sudden changes in our society. And they say this, premature arrival of the future. In other words, things that we thought was far in the future has overcame us and they're in our day. And it's premature. We're not ready to face what the future has brought upon us and has now become tested. No one is prepared mentally or emotionally or socially to face what the power from hell has thrown upon our, especially our young people. And especially those minds that have been unchurched have never been introduced to Jesus. A mind that is open for whatever comes along. And sad as it might seem, atheist professors have made more about their job than ministers of the gospel. Amen. Yes, it's true. Has been more concerned about what they can do to tear down the theory of Almighty God speaking man in existence or making from the dust of the earth and they seem to have been able to reach the minds of these individuals for their correctness easier and better than the church from the living God. I say this in our city. I say this simply because I feel like that we have gathered ourselves together, and I'm talking about every Christian church, every Christian body, we've gathered ourselves together night after night and fellowship one another and felt the tingle of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of the presence of God and feasted upon the Word of God and went to our own homes that was Christian homes and forgot the world that was surrounding us out here and has become unsafe for us to leave our doors alone. That's right. And yet in spite of us, the awesome responsibility of reaching these people is stolen upon us. Now, young people find it hard to establish and maintain an identity in their school, in their work, in their peer group, or in their church. And the question to me is this. What produced this generation? Now, this generation did just happen. Something produced this generation. A lack of something, perhaps, produced this generation. Let, let's go over some statistics and measure your life by that. Now, statistics show that 27 minutes a day in communication between husband and wife. That's overall. Now, you might be 
receive that, or you may not come unto them. But it shows that the, the, just 27 minutes a day, the husband and wife communicate. I see that, Josh. And if we're in that situation, we ought to remedy that situation. Communication between husband and wife is all important. And children of that generation spend from five to eight hours in godless atheist oriented schools where evolution ever got this thing is taught. From five to eight hours a day in that, they sit before godless television for the most part and I guess television Jews, right? But it babysits with our children from four to seven hours a day. And their eyes feast upon programs that's not fit for adults to watch, much less the impressible mind of the children we sit down there. Right. And very few parents take time to screen the program that's flashed on the scene. And corruptness is being fed into the minds of unsuspecting children. Right. Children is going to live when this world collapses and comes to an end. The challenge really is ours. A very small percent of those under 25, and I read to you that percentage, was raised in a godly home or attend Sunday school and church, and children have less than 22 minutes a day in communication with their parents. Now, I have once heard this. I have observed in our Town and in our church at homes that uh, I was asked to come into for various reasons. And I observed for the first time when I came to challenge with this, I thought, God, surely this is not so. And I found it even invading the rank and file of Christian homes. I thought perhaps this meant homes where sin was all around, but it invaded the rank and file of Christian homes. I had opportunities to be in home after home when little Mary or little Johnny would come and say, try to say something, dad or mom, and they would be so busy in their problems that they'd say, just get out of here and shut up. I don't have time for it. That's right. 22 minutes a day is not enough time for little Johnny to somewhere or somehow come to me and say, look, mom, look, dad, they told me this in school. Is that right? You see, they've had no one, for the most part, to come against that evil that's there. Right. And the devil has arranged this mm -hmm. so as to take away our time. Did you ever notice that you still have more modern conveniences than you ever had? You have electric washers and, and dryers and all types of things that men have automobiles to get around and water equipment and all this. But for some reason or other, we still don't have the time that Grandma and Grandpa had. Right. Now, some sinister force is loose, robbing us of time. And time can never be reclaimed. When this day is past, you look back and say, I wish I could reclaim it. But that time has gone. You cannot reclaim that which is past. Time marches on. Men are born and men die. And the church is still here to meet every opposition that comes. Yes. Now meals are rarely eaten together as a family unit. Now I don't know about you people, but we was raised in a family that was nine of us children. Three died, but there was nine of us children, healthy children, raised in about a three or four room house. And of course dad worked a lot of hours and mom was busy on the scrub board, pumping her water, uh, heating her water outside, on the scrub board washing for nine, nine boys and girls, and cooking for those. And dad came in sometimes at sunset or sometimes later than that. And the only time we had to sit down and discuss the everyday affairs and what went on and the things that bothered us was at mealtime. Right. A precious time to unload burdens. A precious time to explain the happenings of the day and, and, and somewhere, somehow, get healed. Yes. But that's all changed. Hamburgers and french fries are thrown on the table. Mom and Daddy are hurry and, and so on. And here it goes. Sometimes 
Days passed, weeks passed, and children aren't innocent to come. And ask you some answers to questions. You ever wonder sometimes why your kids never bother you? Check back and see if you have wanted to be bothered. We're failing to touch the palate of our children. The Bible says, train up the way a child in the way that it should go. And this train comes from the Hebrew word, simply means touch the palate of a child. And we as parents sometimes just fail to touch the palate of a child. It's doing something to touch the palate and make them swallow this. And here's something here we ought to consider. Because of the tension brought on by this age, and this period of time that we live in, Regular sleeping hours from six to nine hours, whatever we sleep, the mind rests only 29 minutes and 32 seconds. While you're laying down with your tired body, and while your body is getting some rest, this mind in here is working and working and working. Did you ever wonder why that you woke up the next morning feeling as tired as you was when you went to bed? It's simply because your mind rested and all that 29 minutes and 32 seconds were geared in a hypertension society. And there's but one thing that can combat that, and that is the peace and sublimity and the power of the Holy Spirit of God within us. Amen. That will make us sit down and take note and breathe a prayer before you go to bed, and your mind is sure to rest. A little bit more than 29 minutes and 32 seconds. And home life is being shattered. The husband, which God ordained to be the head of the house, is pictured as a meek and a mousy, dagwood type individuals with very little middle reasoning at all and no backbone, and just an individual to be bossed around by wife and children. Now that's what you see on television, amen. That's what you see streaming out in your comics in your newspapers. And that's what you see sometimes in your homes. A husband is pictured as a willy-dilly nitwit of some type that don't have sense enough to get out of the rain unless his wife tells him. Amen? And sometimes the husband tries his best to feel that home. Now, right after I was reading about this, the wife and I went in there yesterday. And there said a husband and wife and two children. And the little girl was very unruly. And her father just sat there and didn't say a word. And then the mother, the son began to whine for attention. And the mother said this aloud that everybody in the restaurant could hear it. And Pat, she said, well, you be quiet. I have to raise your father first. And then I can take care of you. And then she turned to her husband and said, I've told you a thousand times how to take care of this situation. Now that happened in a restaurant. That wasn't in a comic book. That wasn't on television. That was a pure example of the shattered home life that is happening. Right. I don't know whether any of you husbands are henpecked or not, but if you are, you, you better find your place. Amen. Right. He, you, you may have to come to church with a black eye a few times, but get your place. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Let's, let's analyze our society while we're at it. Financial situation is going down. Energy situation is something else. Government leadership, my God, you look at it and you don't know uh, one from the next. I mean, you, you can get a Republican uh, uh, government in and you think that's going to do the job and uh, turns around and it's so better than the other one and you think, well, we just change and, and we'll vote in a Democratic uh, government. We get that under control and they all the same. Thank you. 
understand. And that humanity's way of solving problems. But it increases problems. Yes, it does. And did you know that there's more suicide among teenagers now than there is in any age group there is? Right. And you'd be surprised that it reaches all down to six-year-olds. You hear about six and seven-year-olds that are killing themselves and, and committing suicide. Now, you have to ask yourself the question, what's going on anyway? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. We're getting close to the end of time. God Almighty knows, as well as the powers of hell knows, that this generation has to be released. We have to touch them. We have to introduce God to them. We have to summon some of their problems. And he has unleashed the fury of the powers of hell the devil has and has captivated their minds and have warped their minds and tried his best to destroy their bodies. You find young people, 16, 17 years old, walking around in the body of a 16, 17 year old man, being mutilated and put to ruin the powers of drugs and powers of hell. And then when they can't stand it anymore, put a gun to their head and blow their brain. Having possibly never heard of the delivering power of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm concerned tonight as to whose shoulders the blame is going to rest when we stand before the eyes of a lonesome God. I'm asking myself the question, will I be lost God free? Will God not hold me accountable for dwelling in my sealed houses while the house of God lies waste and not taking into consideration the commitment that I took on when I received the Lord Jesus Christ? And I think it would behoove every one of us to ask ourselves the same question. And we're entering into some ages now. There has been churches that have already redesigned their thinking. That's already redesigned their ways of reaching people. Has already, in a sense, given seminars and what have you. Because they realize that from the gutter, from the gutter must come somebody. And friends, there could be some Apostle Paul and some Moody's and, and some little Sundays that's grown up from the brothers that's lying there like a rat and somebody has to reach out and somebody has to care. Somebody has to get out from themselves. Yes. Long enough to either witness or pray for it. Are we ready to lend a helping hand whatever happens to be presented to us? And I'm asking. Are we prepared for this task? Now, it's a definite need to start right. Now, I don't know if there's any builders here or not, but if a contractor starts building, building a house, and he gets off just an inch, the results are drastic if he continues that way. And another inch, if you draw two parallel lines, and one angle slightly just from the beginning, by the time it reaches a few miles, there's quite a wide angle, and we need to start right. There's a definite need to start right, and there has been given gifts in the church. I'm wondering sometimes what's happening to them. That the Bible says God has given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of their ministry. You see, in the original, where the comma is for the perfecting of the saints, there's a comma there, and it says for the work of the ministry. But in the original, there is no comma there. It says for the perfecting of the saints, by the work of the ministry. In other words, give the saints perfected and mature because the saints have a ministry. Yes, they do. Amen. And God help the pastor or the individual that will not allow a saint to move in their ministry. Because there is a definite need for a saint's ministry. Yes. Pastors and evangelists are to school them in this and mature them in this and then they're to go out and perform a ministry. Now, churches have been taught, and I don't know how yours have been taught, but churches have been taught, and if they haven't been taught, they have adapted it anyway, and you just get a pastor, and you turn everything over to him, and if there's any sick visitation, he does it. If there's any visitation to people outside, he does it. If there's any of this or any of that, he does it. Well, after all, we pay him to do it. Wrong. I say wrong, absolutely wrong. You pay him to minister you the word of God that will influence you and mature you and make you strong enough to pray the prayer of faith for whoever comes within your home or even to the hospital. 
There's nothing wrong with Pastor going and praying for somebody. I don't mind doing it. But like I said, it is not the pastor's full responsibility to do these things. I challenge you to find it in the Word of God. It's not in there. You see, saints have a duty. And that duty must be performed. But if the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers do not do their job of protecting the saints, of bringing them from the toppling bait up to where they're strong in the turf, to the inspired word of God, since they're built to the word of God and the meat of the word of God. If they don't do their job, it's a sure fact that the saints cannot be theirs. You can't ask the ask of the babe out here to perform a task meant for a mature saint of God or for a mature man. Neither can you ask for individuals that have been presented the word of God and so much to make them strong to do a full mature saint's job. But there's a need to start right, and that's starting right. Teach the saints they have a responsibility. Teach the saints their power is through the Holy Spirit. That they are not limited to occupy the church pew. They're not limited to just come and hearing the word of God. But the challenge is heard before them. They have a ministry. Yes. You have a ministry. Yeah. A ministry that needs to start right. To equip the church. To reach a generation such as the world has not seen. Now the world has never saw a generation like this. Even in the heathen times, these people believed in some type of earth. It was an island, maybe, but they worshipped something. But this generation worships no worships nothing but themselves. You see, there's the devil the challenge. Of course, you can find somebody that's worshiping a God and point to them a God that could do better than that God and they would come immediately start to worship this God. Paul had this to begin with. But the hardest thing in the world is to get an individual to quit depending on their own self. Humanism has covered the land. Yes, it has. Humanism has creeped in. And the man feels like by his own worthiness, by his own good deeds, by his own acts, that he can increase and become wiser and stronger and deliver himself. But man can never do it. So we've got to reach a generation that the world has never seen. Preparing sex is running wild. It's everything. Yes. I don't know. You know, you can look at the teenagers, the individuals, and you can say, well, look what they're doing. I actually stop and ask, whose teenagers were they? Who brought them into this world? Who was charged with the responsibility of teaching them the things of right or wrong who was possible they never heard? And sometimes we feel like when they get up about teenage size, that it's time for them to make their own decisions, but I beg to differ with you, and the Bible would differ with you also. If if people, if teenagers ever needed you, if your children ever needed you before, they need you when they're teenagers. They need a strong hand upon them as never before. They need mom and dad to tell them no, absolutely no, and stand by it. I know, I raised four of them. And I raised them wanting to do this and wanting to do that. And see the neighbor's kids doing this and the neighbor's kids doing that. I had to raise them with the awesome responsibility of knowing that what they become in this world was my responsibility. If I raised them right and then they departed from that, it was on their shoulders. But if I wasn't there and the stern hand of Murray and of discipline was not there at the impressionable time, then I would have to stand before God on that great day and answer for the things that I did not do. You know, we deal with that one of these times, sins of omission. Sins of omission, love church people are more blessed than anything I know of. Or the sins of commission, but saints very seldom commit sins and sins. But what about the things they should do that they don't do? Well, you've got to be careful accountable for them too. Trial marriages, lifestyle, cold, 
don't just say, I'm going to be a lawyer. Kind of go out and buy some law books and rent an office and begin practicing law. He don't do that, does he? Jim just didn't say, I'm going to be a school teacher and go to the schools and I'm a school teacher with your heart. Any of you, brethren that's here, that, that's working, you just don't say, go, go and say, I'm this or I'm that, I'm something else. You go to school, you study, you practice, and you're tested. And uh, you have to do that in the secular. I'd like to say this, neither will God permit his kingdom to be in the hands of men that have been untried. He says, many are called, but few are chosen. You know what's put the stigma on religion? religion? It's because they've tried to get control of the kingdom, and they've been untried men. God puts a call on somebody's life, he sticks a Bible under his hand, and he says, I'm a preacher. And he hardly knows how to read, hardly knows how to read, hardly knows how to get in and out of the pulpit. And very, very seldom does he know a much any more than the saints of the congregation that he goes with. When these are untied individuals, they need to find them a place on their knees. They need to have a Bible course if there's nothing that on their knees. And they need to know the Bible from one end to the other. And they need to be prepared for the task that is before them. And I say, God help a man, woman, boy, or girl that God has called to be a minister. Because he's got some proving to do. He's got some credit to do. He's got some studying to do. He's got to get enraptured with the Holy Spirit of God and face a world that's lost and dying and proclaim Christ a living God. Not by sin, but by an example of the power of God that resides within his life. And friend, not only does a minister need that, and every saint of God has seeking to challenge a life out there that don't know Jesus. David's a good example. You ever wonder why David had to fight the lion and the bear? You ever wonder that? You know, the first thing he said when he went up and said, Well, I'll fight that giant. You know, he said, He said, Why, I've killed a lion, I've killed a bear. Now that gave David courage enough to realize that if God was ready to kill a lion and God was ready to kill a bear, then God would be with him to kill a giant. So you see, the lion and the bear were just stepping stones for him to meet the giant. And why did he have to meet the giant? So he could prove himself to all Israel and to meet Saul and play harp in the king's house. And why should he play harp in the king's house? Because God wanted him in there to see the duties and the responsibilities, to attend to all the strategy meetings, to learn about justice and injustice, to learn about peace and war, and to apply the laws of the land. See, David didn't just say, I'm going to be king. God didn't just call him and anoint him and put him on the throne. And he prepared on David to be a king that Israel would be proud of. And neither are we just called out and placed on the battlefield. God gives us armor. He gives us study. He tells us to get in the word of God. And he equips us. Yes, and until he does, brother, we better stay in the king's house. Right. Amen. We better not go out. Hallelujah. Why did he get in the king's house in preparation for the king of Israel? For his generation. I wonder if we can do less for our generation. Drug addict? Byproducts of the drug addicts? Mentally retarded? Harder? A prostitute? A homosexual? Lesbian? Bisexual? Alcohol? On and on and on the list goes. These. These tries and might most often never get on the inside of the church until they can meet a life that's been in the presence of God in such a manner that they know that God is you. There's no doubt in my mind that we have to prepare ourselves for going to the high levels, going to the five ways of patience, witness to the love of Jesus.
Jesus was sitting there with the devil, with the fire. Went in the houses, prostitutes, cast seven devils out of individuals, and wherever there was a mission of purpose, there was a need, our God was there. And he went into the lowest parts of humanity, and never once lowered himself. But always, whenever he went into the lowest depths of the sin where it was there, he lifted those individuals up to his heart and to his place. Yes. A saint of God, sure of where they are, and sure of what they will need, can go into the depths of human misery and lift them up to the standards of love and compassion. We need, desperately more than ever before, to realize there's a task there. The preparation has to be made for I said all this, all I said all of that to say this. I have a feeling that what happens in this revival is dependent upon our state of spiritual He might be a sinner, or he feels like.